Amen. She's doing an amazing thing. And again, you have been a part of that as we built 10 houses for 10 families. You're all a part of that. So praise God. Well, this morning, I want to take some time here and I want to do some teaching about some of the things that I've been learning to give you some context about what it is that we're looking at. We are, we are in Revelations chapter 3, and we're looking at finishing up verses 14 through 22 about the church at Laodicea. Jesus has written this letter to the church. He's written uh, seven letters to seven churches, and we're at the last one here. And this is the church at Laodicea. This is the letter that probably many, or if you're looking forward to it at all, you've been looking forward to this. Most of you have quoted quotes and made statements that come from the scripture that are here. And I, I want to bring some teaching to this in, in today, and then we'll not next week, but the week after that, I want to bring some application and some things that will be a little more maybe preaching than the teaching time today. So we're going to look at all of this, and we have to take a look at some of the things. There's a tremendous amount in this area in Turkey of archaeological things that are being revealed as they dig these digs and find out what it is that historically is in these uh, little towns. And in the town of Laodicea, one of the things that they found out that it's much of everything that happened there stems from was Main Street. They had a Main Street. It was right through the middle of this town that they're finding. And the Main Street was made out of polished marble. The entire street was polished marble, and on the sides were giant columns, and there was uh, arches, and it was a, a beautiful place, and it was filled with all sorts of merchants and businesses and all sorts of uh, commerce that was happening in that area. They also have found that, that going off of Main Street, there was a grid of streets that they had built that had gone off of Main Street, and it was very well organized, and the town was very well laid out. They found, as they've been digging, they found a, a large Christian baptistry that's been excavated. They have found numerous, but one very big pagan temple. They have also un uncovered a, a large, fairly large Christian church that is there in the town. Now, again, a lot of these things are important, and, and we'll talk some about that, but there's some interesting facts about Laodicea that at least topographically will help us to understand a lot of what was going on. Laodicea topographically was built in the high desert. It was built on a level, elevated plain in the high desert. And Laodicea, uh, through it, where they had landed this city up in the high plain, was a trade route that went right through the middle of the city. And so because of that, there were a lot of things that would happen, a lot of commerce, a lot of business, a lot of transactions, a lot of people that were coming and a lot of people that were going through this little town. And because of all of that, it made the town a town that was very affluent. There was a lot of money in this little town. And again, that's important for us to understand as we go into this letter, and we'll get to this in a moment, of what Jesus had to say to the town of Laodicea. Now, additionally, along Main Street, again, as I said, they have found there's all kinds of shops and merchants and outdoor markets and beautiful places for people to be able to go from all around to, to go and to find the things they needed, the things they wanted, all the things that they, they would have needed. And then on the backside, 
side of the main street, on the back side of the buildings, on the grid of streets, were homes that were built. That's where most of the people in Laodicea lived. Now, again, the houses they're finding were actually really large houses. Laodicea, they did not build small houses. Like when we studied through the Gospel of Luke, we talked about Nazareth, where Jesus was raised up. Their houses in Nazareth were, you know, a couple hundred square feet. Their houses were the size of a single car garage, and they shared that house with their, with their farm animals. These houses were not like that. These houses were large. They're excavating these houses, finding out that many of the houses in Laodicea were a few thousand square feet in size. I mean, bigger houses than many of us are even living in were where they were living in Laodicea. They also have found that the houses in Laodicea, many of them had a centralized water system. In Laodicea, back in the year 100, they had indoor plumbing. Isn't that crazy? Ancient, an ancient pipe system that was built that brought water to these homes. And so they had indoor plumbing. And again, it was a really highly developed city. Uh, C.S. Lewis, you know, he, he talks about how sometimes in, as time goes by, we can fall prey to something called chronological snobbery. And, and we think that because we're further along in time that we're so much smarter than, you know, these people back here who just didn't know enough. You know, the people in the olden days are not as smart as us because we're advanced and we have so much more and we're so developed. Look at the engineering, the architecture, and all of the, the that went into the architectural design of trying to bring water to this place. Man, that was complicated. It was It was difficult. So how did they do that? How did they get water into this place? The, uh, reading about the area of Laodicea, the temperatures in Laodicea oftentimes rose up kind of like here, up towards a, 100 degrees. It got very, very warm in this desert area. There was no fresh water in the area. They had no streams. They had no fresh water. And so all of the water that was in Laodicea had to be piped in. Again, the complications of engineering water in that day to be brought in, man, that was first just complicated, but it also would have cost a ton of money. I mean, just imagine the cost. But this was a very rich, very affluent city. In fact, it was reading about this, and they know of at least two times, but there's probably more, at least two times where the city was completely devastated because of earthquakes. It's an area that is prone to earthquakes, and at least twice the entire city of Laodicea was completely flattened by huge earthquakes. And the people of Laodicea, they did not want to take money from the Roman government. They did not want to come under that kind of oppression. They were people that were proud. They were people that had the money. So the people of Laodicea twice built the city back themselves and paid for it themselves. So you can see that this is a place with incredible wealth, a place that was terribly affluent, a place I, I trying to think of in a comparison and the, you know, the closest that I could come to thinking about that, maybe you have your own affluent area that you can think of, but it, was, it must have been something like Beverly Hills or like Manhattan Something that just, they had the money. There was a lot of business that was going on. A lot of business that was coming and going and people that were traveling through and people that were coming to buy and people that were coming to sell and the merchants were there and there was all this commerce and because of that, the people got rich. The people of Laodicea had a lot of money 
And, and part of what would reveal that is that they're finding now, as they're digging that area, that they found two large outdoor amphitheaters that were built in Laodicea. Two, I mean, one of them held, their figure, maybe 12,000 people. One of them, they estimate, held about 8,000 people. Two huge outdoor amphitheaters. Now we've been talking about all these other letters to the, you know, the six other churches and we found as we studied through Pergamum and, and Ephesus that they had amphitheaters there but all those towns had one amphitheater. Here you have Laodicea which has two huge extravagant amphitheaters and it just goes to show the affluence that was in this area and, I, and I'm trying to make a, a point with this. They, were, they had two really amazing amphitheaters, entertainment venues for people that were coming through. They sat up high on this desert plain overlooking the valley. They had these amazing views. And we get the idea as we study through this of, of, of a community with great luxury, a community with wealth, a community that, that had a lot. They had highly educated people, influential people, important people, significant people, business people. And that's basically the situation that's going on in this time. That's the, the, the culture of the community when Jesus sends this letter to the church at Laodicea. And we can see as we go through this letter that because of all that they had, that the people had become haughty. The people had become prideful. The people had realized in themselves that they could fulfill all of their needs. And the people, they had this beautiful, beautiful community. They sat up high on a plain. They looked out over the rest of the, the region. In fact, they looked down over the rest of the region. And it kind of typifies the attitude of what the people in Laodicea must have been like. You know, it's those people with the penthouse view and the penthouse attitude to go with it. Well, they were rich, they were prosperous, the city was powerful, the city was well-known, they had the best foods, they had the best drink, they had the best houses, they had the most luxurious entertainment venues, and the most popular things would have gone on there. And, and again, think of the nicest neighborhoods, think of the most upscale, gated community that you can, and that's basically what you have in the people of Laodicea. Now, the spiritual condition of the community would have been a lot like, in many ways, the same spiritual condition that some of the other churches that we've been talking about in these seven letters. Spiritually, it was a very complicated, very diverse place. They had people, they, they came to, multi, to, to worship multiple gods and multiple goddesses. They were worshiping them in all sorts of different ways. Multiple temples that would have been built where certain gods were worshiped in certain temples. And, and they would be drawn to these different temples and they would come to worship the god that they chose. As far as I can tell, there were, I, I mean, countless gods and goddesses that were worshipped there. But in some of the temple, the main temple that they've uncovered, it looks like Zeus was the main god or the main deity that was worshipped in the area. But there was also temples to Apollos. There was a temple to uh, Asculpus which is the god of healing. There was a temple to Dionysus, which was the goddess of wine. 
And there were a lot of other gods and a lot of other goddesses that had meaning, and the people there would choose the god or goddesses that they wanted to go to. I think this. I think that they had all these gods and goddesses so they could go and they could pick whichever god or goddess they wanted so that they had an excuse to go do the things they wanted to do. Hey, you know what? I really like my wine, so I'm going to worship Dionysus because then I can drink as much wine as I want. And there were all sorts of gods that opened the doors for all sorts of deviant sexual behaviors and things of that sort. And the people would just pick the God that they wanted so that they had an excuse to do whatever it was they wanted. They also worshiped the emperor there. They, they worshiped the emperor and it was a, a pure political ploy uh, that they would have favor with the emperor. So they set up a temple to worship the emperor. There were a large number of Jews that lived there. So this was a really diverse place. I mean, a lot of different things going on, a lot of different worship going on. Spiritually, it was a very diverse place. And then you're looking at all these people then that are coming for all these different things. You've got travelers that are coming in to worship the gods that they worship. They were coming in to worship. Honestly, many times people were coming in. They didn't even know why they were coming. They were just coming because there were so many temples and there were so many gods and goddesses that they could go to and so many temple prostitutes that they were just coming to worship. And so people were coming in and they were bringing money as they came and they were depositing that money with the merchants and the businesses and all this commerce that was going on in this little community or this big community of Laodicea. People were coming to worship. People were coming to shop. People were coming to buy. People were coming to sell. And they would all pass through this place and go visit the temples and merchants. And so again, this was a very important, very strategic place. One of the things that we learned about was that when we talked about this as we were going through the Gospel of Luke, was that when Jesus was traveling about, Jesus went into all these little, little rural areas to preach. He went to these little tiny synagogues and went to minister and to preach. But when Jesus rose from the dead and the church was born, churches started, that what that happened was God started to put these churches in these big urban areas. And again, not that he doesn't care for the rural, but in those urban areas, it's very strategic. And think about it. In these urban areas, you've got all these people that are coming and going, traveling through, and people would come into these big urban areas and they would meet Jesus and they'd get saved. And then what they would do is take Jesus back with them to where they went. So these, these very, uh, these big cities were very important and strategic to the location of the church and the growth of the gospel that went into all of these little rural areas. So Laodicea was very significant, a very important city. It was, it was a traveling place. It was the Wall Street of today. And if the church of Laodicea were healthy, if the church were, were, were doing what the church was called to do, then the church there had the resources financially to do the work that they were called to do. They had the political clout to be able to do what they wanted to do. They had the ability in every practical way to be those who would send the news of Jesus Christ out into the regions around them. And so this is the city of Laodicea. This is an important city. So that leads us from the context that I wanted you to have in what was going on in the first century here. And it leads us to this letter that Jesus writes to that city that I just hopefully gave you an overview of, to the words that Jesus would speak to the church in Laodicea. I, I, I think about these little 
cities or big cities at that point that were put in these different places in what is now modern day Turkey. And they were just literally, I mean, hours from the island of Patmos. So islands, I mean, uh, hours away from Patmos is, is where John, Jesus, his, his youngest and most you know, beloved disciple was exiled to. John had been boiled in oil and he wouldn't die. So they decided to send him to the island of Patmos to exile him on an island that was uninhabited. And he's on this island and, and they say he's in this cave. They found a cave that they believe is where this has all happened, where John lived. And he's in this cave and he's on a Sunday morning and here he is, John, who's been boiled alive. He's now in exile and he's up in there in a cave and he's not cursing Jesus. He's worshiping him Amen. in his condition. He was boiled church in oil. My son Joshua just had some bad burns on his arms. And man, he has been suffering. <laughs> he was out of work for almost three weeks. And he, it has been like this kid, 20 years old, in tears because the pain has been so bad. Can you imagine? He burned himself with oil. Imagine what it would be like to be dipped in a vat of oil. The kind of pain and the kind of anguish that you would be experiencing. Church, we don't know the kind of pain and anguish that John went through. Yet where did Jesus find him on the day of worship? In the morning. He found him in his pain, in his situation, in his circumstance. Not crying out, God, fix this for me. God, change this for me. God, do this for me. He found him on his knees, worshiping God on the day of worship. And in that moment, Jesus shows up. And he begins to speak to John and give John these letters, these letters to seven churches. And one of those churches is Laodicea. And these are not letters from Jesus that walked the earth as a, as a pauper. These are words communicated from heaven. These are words that came from the throne of grace, from the king of glory. Jesus Christ had already come to the earth. He had lived a sinless life for you and for me. And in that moment, he went to the cross and he took your sins and mine. And he died on that cross for you and for me. He went into the grave and he arose from the grave. He revealed himself to over 500 witnesses who saw the dead Jesus alive. He overcame the grave, and at that point, he rose to the right hand of the Father, where he is seated in glory. He is not a pauper. He is the King of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the God of all. He knows all. There's nothing outside of his sight. There's nothing that you, me, or anybody in the church of Laodicea could do that Jesus was not completely aware of, because he was talking from a place of sovereignty, a place of rulership. He is the King of all kings, speaking to the church. This is not an Old Testament letter, church. This is the last letter. It's not even the first letter in the gospel, like he you know, was warming up. This is the last letter. This is Revelation. This is the final letter. This is a, a letter that the resurrected living God has written, and he gave it to the church, the New Testament church, the born-again church, a spirit-filled church. And this is what he says to the church at Laodicea. 
starting in verse 14. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, again, there's their spiritual leadership, the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? The words of amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Verse 15, I know your works. Do we believe that? I know your works. And he's going to go on here, and I'm going to show you how emphatically he knows exactly what is going on in Laodicea. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That is a scripture that is responsible for the salvation of many people. Because it's true. And if you don't know Jesus Christ today, turn to him today. You don't want to be spit out of his mouth. Verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness and may not be seen. And salve, that to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Amen. When there's a call to repent, how do you respond in your heart? What does it do to you? When there's a call to say, you're wrong, he's right, how do you react? I mean in here. It's important. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Verse 21, the one who conquers, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it has been released into this place. Lord, let your word do what no man can. I pray that your word would do what only your word can, and I pray, God, that you would not allow my words to cause anybody to be in confusion or confliction with what you have to say. Lord, I thank you for having us ears to hear what you desire us to hear today, and I pray, Lord God, that you would do that in every single person that's here. You have them here for a reason. I pray that you would reveal it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, in this, you know, there's a, in, in all these letters, there's this pattern that Jesus has. And, and in these letters and in these patterns that he set out, one of the first things that Jesus would do is he would bring encouragement. You know, if there was encouragement that, that was there to be brought and given, then Jesus would start with this encouragement. Let me ask you to the, in this letter that I just read to you, what is the encouragement? It's 
See, there is none. There's no encouragement that's in all of this. The whole thing. And again, I think that what he's doing is sharing with us this big idea that, that, listen, some professing churches are not practicing biblical Christian faithfulness. They're just not. And, And church, there are churches and there are denominations and there are pastors and there are people, there are individuals that have gone apostate. All around us, there are people that are rebelling against the God of the Bible. People that will accept things that are cultural because it's culturally acceptable even though it goes contrary to the word of God. People that will do things that is contrary to the word of God because culturally it's acceptable. And it's called apostasy. We take God's word and we place God's word as preeminent in our life. And when we don't do that, God doesn't have nice things to say. You know, he's not intimidated by us. He's not codependent. He's none of those things. And listen, he has nothing good to say about this church. There's nothing in there that you can see that's good. He gives them opportunity, but he does not promote them. There's no encouragement here. And for some of you, I'm sure that's difficult to hear because you have that spirit of encouragement. You want to find something good in everything. You want to find something good to say about everything. But sometimes there's not things that are good to say. And sometimes it doesn't benefit when we do that. Well, you know, Even if you're one of those that's always looking for something nice to say about somebody. Listen, don't let me discourage you. Be nice. Amen. But church, one of the ways in which we can be nice is that when there's something that's not nice, when you don't have anything nice to say, then the most loving thing you can do is say the truth. That's, that's why I, I try really hard, church, to give you the truth, to not pull punches. Because I love you. And if I don't tell you the truth, and I just have become complicit in the sin and, and okay and encouraging your lifestyle when it's contrary to what the Word of God says, how can I say that I really love you? So sometimes the most loving thing to say is the truth. You know what? Your behavior is unacceptable. You can't do that. That's a lifestyle that does not glorify God. And if your intent is to glorify God, then you have to realize he is displeased with what you're doing. And I'm telling you that, not because I'm haughty or anything. I'm telling you that because I love you and I want you to have an opportunity to change. I can't encourage your lifestyle, but I can encourage you to turn to God, to turn to Jesus and to come to him and repent and so that you might change that lifestyle. That's a message that says I love you more than anything else. And so that's how we can encourage each other. Again, this is a letter to the church. We shouldn't just wink at sin. Crickets. (laughs) So this letter, there's no, no real encouragement in this. So obviously the church is not really, excuse me, doing well. Now, even though there's no encouragement, he does bring a number of rebukes here, and I'm just going to walk through these real quick and talk to you about the rebukes, about the consequences that he says will come if they don't, people don't believe and, and begin to obey. And the first thing is he says, you're lukewarm. 
Again, he says, verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And again, it's important that we understand where this city is topographically. They are up on the high plain, and we ask this question, where does the water come from? Well, the water all had to be piped in. And because this plain, above the plain, there was a, a mountain range, and in this high elevated mountain range, they would get snow, they would get ice, and that ice and that snow in the desert uh, ter terrain would melt. And so the water would run off, but it would run off into the valley below Laodicea. And so in the valley below, there were times when they had good, fresh, cold water in the valley below. There also was times because of the heat when the water would flow into the valley area where the water would become warm. They also have found that there were um, a water mineral springs that were flowing into the valley below as well. There were cool water springs, but there was also hot water springs. In fact, there still today is a resort that's built on this hot mineral springs, hot spring. And so they had the opportunity for cool water and for warm water up in the, or down in the valley. But how do they get that up to the higher places, up to Laodicea? Well, again, they had built a very complicated, very expensive aqueduct system that would bring the water up there. But the problem was this, that by the time the cool water reached Laodicea, it was warm. And by the time the hot water reached Laodicea, it was warm. And you can imagine what these people of Laodicea were complaining about. You know what? It's so hard to enjoy the water here. Why is our water always lukewarm? Why is it always so disgusting? Can you imagine? I mean, how many of you coffee and tea drinkers are here? Can you imagine? I mean, with, with cold is good, right? Cold tea is good. Iced tea. I mean, cold coffee is okay. But... Some of you drink it. <laughs> but there's hot coffee and hot tea. Look at that. You know what? I, I keep my coffee in, in a mug because I can't stand when it's been sitting up here for a while and it gets room temperature. It's like I take a drink because I forget and, and I want to spit it out because nobody likes that lukewarm temperature. Lukewarm is never good. Lukewarm coffee, lukewarm tea, it's not. And so hot or cold, that's what the people of Laodicea wanted. But you know what? It was lukewarm is what they always had. Didn't matter what, to, it was always just lukewarm. And so the people would complain about the lukewarm water in Laodicea. Well, here Jesus is using a familiar illustration to make his point that the people would really understand. Oh, we understand that whole lukewarm thing. And honestly, they would understand it way better than what we even understand it. He's using this illustration to make a point that was really real to them. He's saying, you know, in the morning when you guys get up and you get up and you want a nice hot cup of coffee, or hot cup of tea or you know, whatever you guys make and then you take a big drink and it's disgusting because it's lukewarm and you can't stand it and you complain about it and you just want to spit it out because it tastes terrible. Well, your church is like that to me. It's just lukewarm. It's not hot. And here hot, hot is, is referring to passion passion and enthusiasm and, and excitement and devotion and sacrifice and mission and obedience and, and commitment. 
And Jesus is saying, you know what, lukewarm, that's just, that's all you are. And it's displeasing to me. Just like you want to spit that hot, that lukewarm coffee or cold water or drink, whatever it is, out of your mouth, well, I want to do that as well. And he says, if you don't repent, I will spit you out of my mouth. Again, he's trying to give them an understanding of what it's like to be their God. And again, this is a New Testament letter, church. The cold would be the normal, the unregenerated, unsaved person. But either way, a person who is not hot or cold for God has no passion for the truth, has no passion for what God has to say, no passion for the things of God, no passion for the people of God, no passion for Jesus Christ. We're just kind of lukewarm and indifferent. We come in and we leave the same. We, we just, we're okay just running through the motions because it makes us feel okay. And in this letter, what Jesus does is he shows them whether they're lukewarm or not. Because one of the ways in which you'll find out whether somebody is lukewarm or not is how they respond to a rebuke. How do they respond to correction? How do they respond to spiritual authority? How do they respond to Jesus' authority? You know what? Someone who's hot, they, they may not like it. They may not care. But you know what? I'm so thankful, Jesus, that I can trust you. And I am just so thankful that I can hear from you. I don't care if I like it or not, Jesus. I'm so excited to just do what it is you're calling me to do. Thank you, Lord, for the rebuke. Thank you for loving me enough to correct me. Yet somebody who's, who's lukewarm will say, oh, you know what? That's ridiculous. That's not me at all. I, again, I hear this a lot. That's not me at all. Well, that's what I see. Imagine what Jesus sees. And someone who's lukewarm will either reject it or they will become just agreeable for a moment and walk out and just do whatever it is they were doing before. That's lukewarm. Church, are you lukewarm? Someone who's lukewarm has no sustaining passion, no ongoing commitment to being obedient, to seeing the word of God released in their life. He says the church was lukewarm. He says here also that the church is poor. Verse 17, he says this, and, and again, I'm, I'm going quickly, so we'll move through this real fast, so hang on. Verse 17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. What do you need from Jesus? So I think if a lot of people were honest, they would say, well, nothing, I've got it all. Not realizing, though, Jesus says, that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, how offensive is that? In verse 18, he says, And I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. So the second rebuke he brings is you're wretched, 
pitiable and poor, which would have been a shock for these people who didn't see themselves as poor. These were the affluent. These were the rich. These were the wealthiest of the wealthy of the area. These were people who didn't, I mean, can you imagine what it was like to be sitting in church that day, sitting in their special seats, sitting in their most comfortable place, sitting there and then realizing that the pastor's reading a letter that Jesus gave to John, telling them that you're poor? (gasps) Poor, how dare he? (laughs) Listen, Jesus is wrong. Where are the rich? I've got more money. I've got more of this. I got more of that. We're the wealthy. How dare he? We have larger. I I have a vacation home. Imagine these people, they didn't work a lot because they had servants. These people had businesses. They owned the businesses that were in town. And and Jesus is saying to them, you know what? You guys are materially rich, but you are spiritually poor. And Jesus is saying, in my eyes, from my resurrected, glorified viewpoint from heaven as I look down into the very depth of your life, As I see your works, I know what you do, I know your thoughts, I know all those things because he is almighty. He says, I look down and you see yourself as rich, but I look down and say, you know what? You're poor. That's what I see. You're impoverished and there's no growth and there's no life and there's no health in your soul. Your pockets are full, but your heart is empty. How ironic that he goes to the rich side of town. And says, you are poor. And then he goes on. And he says, the, the next rebuke is that they're naked. I read that in verse 17 and verse 18. In the second part of, of verse 18, he said, I counsel you to buy from me. He then said, he said, the gold that's refined by my fire. And then he says this, white garments. He says, I want you to buy white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Now, nakedness was the ultimate humiliation. Nothing more humiliating than to be found naked. That was only somebody who had gone through some sort of tremendous... personal tragedy or somebody that was desperately poor, those were the only ones that were naked or would have been seen as naked. These people, nobody would have seen the people of Laodicea as naked for a number of reasons. One, they were wealthy. They would wear layers of clothing and they would wear these outer cloaks, these fancy outer cloaks. Because one of the ways, as I was reading, one of the ways in which they became so rich and so wealthy was the area was known for the harvesting of black wool. They raised sheep in the area and they would, uh, from the sheep, they would shear this special wool, this wool only found in the area here at Laodicea. And they would shear this black wool and from that black wool, they would spin the finest of what was outer garments. They made coats, they made vests, they made jackets, they made outerwear, and they were known for it. It was the best of the best that you could buy. And people would come from all around to buy these black wool jackets and outer garments. And they became very wealthy because of their ability to spin the very finest. This was a a textile community. This was a place that made clothing, a place who spun all sorts of fine clothing, designer kind of clothing. And here Jesus says to that community that's known for their black wool, 
I tell you to buy white garments from me. Though you are physically clothed, he says, I see you as spiritually naked. In church, it just goes to show that Jesus sees differently than we do. He sees differently. Man looks on the outward, but Jesus looks on the heart. And, and if he looks on your heart, what does he see? Does he, does he see somebody that's spiritually naked because you're self-justifying yourself? What does he see? Because church, you can look rich. You can look affluent. You can look like you got it all together. You can look like, you know what, you just got the, your, your family's all in order, everything's perfect, but you're not growing and you're not loving and you're not caring and you're lukewarm towards the things of God. Let me tell you, God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart. And when he does that, what does he see? Worship team, would you come on back up? The last thing that he says to them, and again, this is really, stay with me here because this is really important. He says they're blind. Now, uh, in verse 17, I told you, you know, that's one of the descriptions that he talks about in the rebuke. And then he says in verse 18, again, I counsel you to buy. First he said the gold refined by his fire and then white garments. And then he says, I want you to buy salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Why would he say that? I mean, everything else has so much meaning. Why would he say this, make this statement to the church at Laodicea? Well, again, the statement is the, whoever the pastor read this to the church, they would have been shocked. Because, again, the statement was made with a purpose. One of the things I found out as I was studying through some of these things is that one of the things that the city of Laodicea was well known for was that they had, in, the, in Laodicea, they produced, it was an ancient eye salve. And they produced this eye salve and people who had problems would come from all over the area. They'd come from all over the nation and people would come with eye problems and blindness and they would come to this because they wanted this special salve that was created and produced in Laodicea. And actually, there are historical statements that say that people even had testimonies of being set free from blindness because of this eye salve. And so people would come from all over with problems and issues and blindness, and they would come to Laodicea, and they would buy this eye salve that made the people rich. And it was one of the things that the city was known for. And people would come from all over. And Jesus says to, the, to them, no, no, no. You need to buy your eyes out from me. He's saying, isn't it ironic where there's an area where there's this constant healing of visual blindness, yet there's still spiritual blindness that's self-selected. The people he was saying essentially had closed their eyes to Jesus. This was a church. This was the church. They closed their eyes to Jesus. They closed their eyes to the fact that they were sinners in need of a Savior. They were people that begun to take the grace of God in contempt. They started off with Jesus. Please hear me. They started off with Jesus, 
but soon reverted back to the culture that Jesus saved them from. And that's where they were. They thought they, thought they had it all. Oh, come on. They, I mean, they had the true church. They had all the money in the world. They had the very finest clothing. They had the best health care. And Jesus says, you're lukewarm, you're poor, you're naked, and you're blind. And right here, this is the problem. This is where the problem came in for them, and it comes for us. Who will the people believe? Will they believe themselves or would they believe the words of Jesus? Who would they believe? See, they didn't see it that way, but Jesus did. And I'm reading through this and studying through this letter to the church at Laodicea and Man, I am totally convicted because I, there, there is, more than any of the other letters, there is such a parallel, so much similarity between the church in Laodicea and the Americanized Christian church. You know, we got a church on every corner. Maybe not as much in Utah. Uh, at least a Christian church in Utah. But man, you go to the Bible Belt, and there is, I mean, I was in Texas, and we drove past mega church after mega church after mega church. We got, we got a church on every corner. We have got spirituality everywhere you turn. We have got so much. Would Jesus say, but you're lukewarm? We as Americans are the richest country on earth. The, the poorest person here is wealthier than 85% of the, are the, the, the rest of the world. We have more money. We have more ability to fund, more ability to, to give towards missions and give towards this. We have more ability to do all of these things. We are the richest nation. We are probably the richest church on earth. Yet would Jesus say, but you're poor. I was going through this and I, man, I opened my closet. I bet every single one of you, you got stuff in your closet that you haven't worn in two years. There's probably not a one of you here that has enough closet space for all that you have. We got more clothes, we got more to wear, we got more stuff than we could ever, ever use or go through. Yet would Jesus say, but you're naked. We have in our nation the best health care. People come from all over to be a part of the health care in our nation. Some of the greatest advances and things that have happened over the years have come from the medical community in our nation. And people are drawn here from all over to come. But in the face of the best health care in the world, would Jesus say, but you're blind.
The final question that I want to ask, and we'll, we'll, we're going to sing, is if those are the words from Jesus, and if this letter was intended for just such a time as this, which I believe that it is, I believe God's timing is perfect and God knows exactly what we're doing and he's orchestrated things in a perfect way so that this word would be brought from this letter to you today that we could hear this. And the question is, who will we believe? Will we believe the word of the Lord or will we believe our own self-made thoughts about where we are? Will we receive truth or will we take and use as truth our own self-created opinion of ourselves. And the, and the truth is, it comes down to this. Who will I believe? I, I've done a lot of soul searching, a lot of work through the Word of God this week. A lot of places where I've been on my knee in repentance, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I, I don't want to be caught up, and it's so hard. I don't want to be caught up in the product of my own life. I want to be caught, Lord God, into your glory. I want to be caught up in your grace. I want to be caught up in your provision, Lord. I want the gold that you can provide, not the dollars that anything else can provide. Lord, I want the garments that you can provide. Lord, I want the eyes to have. Open my eyes. Open my eyes that I could see God. I want to be found on my knees in repentance before a holy God, not standing in from my righteous white ivory tower declaring to the God who saved me what he needs to do and how he needs to be. Who will you believe? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are you are God. And you are holy. And you are sovereign. And God, I submit myself to you. And I pray for each individual that's here that God, that would be the prayer of their heart. That Lord, we would submit ourselves to you. That you would forgive us, Lord, where we've become haughty or prideful. That we would humble ourselves before you, Lord God. That we would hear your word and receive your word with gladness. Keep your heads bowed for a moment. I believe this is a word to the church today. A rebuke. And a rebuke is, in Jesus' eyes, in God's eyes, a rebuke is nothing more than a sign of his love for us. What we do with the rebuke is nothing more than a sign of our love for him. will you do with what the Lord has spoken? Make this a prayer.
Come on, ask him that. Make it a prayer. Open the eyes Voice. Make it your prayer this morning. Lift up that name. Holy is our God. Holy is our Jesus. The name above every name. Holy, holy, holy. I want to see. Come on, amen. Listen. What you do with what the Lord has laid, spoken to your heart, what you do with that today is completely between you and Him. But I want to encourage you. Let God speak to your heart. Let God minister His truth to you. And you believe what He says over what you say. Amen? So church is not over. Church is about to begin. I want you to go out into this beautiful community and go be the church. Go be the light of God. Go be who God's called you to be in the community He has placed you here to be in. God bless y'all. I love you. Have a beautiful day. Come on, let's sing this as we go. To see you high and lifted up.